Exodus chapter 12, verses 29 to 42, if you would like to join me there. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have whatever they at, what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides the women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves." The time that the, Israel, the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of, uh, a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for your scriptures and we're thankful for um, your recording of the history of your people and their salvation by your hand. And Lord, we pray now that we would be encouraged and strengthened by these words, by these circumstances, that we ourselves would know to trust in you and in you alone. God, be with us during this time. May your name be praised. May your spirit guide and direct every word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> so we've been walking through Exodus, as you know, and uh, last week we came to um, just a real uplifting time of reflection on the plagues of Egypt. Um, and, uh, and, and so today is the penultimate uh, plague, the very last plague of, uh, of this set of 10, and we'll be looking through it and, and how the Lord worked through it. And uh, before we did that, I, I wanted to just make a note that I, we hadn't really talked about last week and hadn't really got a chance to point out, but you know, often, I've said this a number of times as we read through scripture, but often when you read through, especially narrative that's so closely put together, you feel like it just happened real quickly. 
You know, I mean, you could read the plagues in a day, and it sort of feels like, oh, they just like, man, it's like boom, 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 and, and all of them happened. There's actually some debate on that. Uh, the, the nine plagues that have come up into this point may have taken, you know, a month, might have taken up to nine months under some calculations. Uh, some think that there were weeks between each plague. Some think there were uh, just a matter of days. But what, whatever the case, what definitely should be heard in this is that, um, you know, and we noted it last week, God has a heart not just for his called people, but for all the people he created, for the Egyptians themselves. And so they were given time, truthfully. They, they were given enough time to recognize what was happening in their midst. God came in judgment and showed them that every God that they had trusted in throughout the land of Egypt had failed them. Over and over and over again, from the Nile to the frogs to the darkness of the sun in midday, all they trusted in was overshadowed by the hand of the one that is almighty, the Lord God, the God of the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of Joseph, who formerly saved Egypt out of, out of a famine. Often we read these plagues and think God is just this God of judgment without mercy in the Old Testament. But the truth is, he is full of everlasting mercy. And, and Exodus itself is a testimony to that very fact. In the conclusion of Exodus uh, chapter 34, verse 6, as uh, we'll get there uh, weeks and weeks down the road, April, I think, um, Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments for a second time because his very people had so disobeyed the Lord that he had to destroy the first cut from stone by the hand of God covenant uh, documents. And so he'd received a second set of tablets. And, and as he's receiving these, he says this of the Lord. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I just challenge you that as we read this passage and as we think through what is happening here, God has been revealing that very character to the Egyptians and calling them as well to repentance and following of the one true God. And so I'm going to walk through, a, you know, sort of the, the elements of chapters 11 and 12 and really just the highlights, because there's a lot here, obviously. Um, but in chapter 11, what we see happen is that the Lord comes in and speaks to Moses and says, okay, it's time for this one more plague. And again, we don't know if it's been like weeks since number nine or, or what, but at some point, God comes to Moses and says, all right, it's time for plague number 10, and this is what you're to do. You're to go before Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh, uh, for, so Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh again in verses 4 to 10 of chapter 11 and say, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go in the midst of Egypt. Every firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as has never been, nor will ever be again. But a dog shall not even growl against the people of Israel, 
either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel, that is, between the gods of Egypt and the God of Israel. And so Moses and Aaron go before him and say this, and still Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he sends them out. He says, get out, you and all the people who follow you. The Lord told Moses, the Pharaoh will not listen, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did these things, and still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and his people stood before the most awful plague they've ever seen. In the first part of chapter 12, there's sort of a pause where uh, Moses, in recording this, steps back and describes the Passover and describes the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, in, in this description, he shows us um, the elements of the Passover, mainly that a lamb is to be chosen, the, the, a spotless lamb from the flock. And that this lamb shall be sacrificed on the 14th day of the month. God says that, that this month that, is, uh, that they are in right now is going to be the beginning of the nation of Israel. On this very action is going to be the basis for which this nation is created. This is their beginning month. This is the beginning of their history as a people and as a nation. So on the 10th day of the month, they're to select a spotless lamb. They're to hold it for a few days and then, and then slay it on the 14th day as a community of people. They're to eat that lamb together on the night of Passover. They're to put the blood of that lamb on their doorposts and on their lentils as they are sleeping in Egypt that day. goes on to describe the unleavened bread. You are to make unleavened bread. This is kind of an odd literary section because he's both describing what you will do continually in the future as well as what you're to do right now. So it's kind of hard grammatically to work through, but his description is that you are to make unleavened bread. Why are you to make unleavened bread? Well, as we read later on, they couldn't leaven the bread. They didn't have time just by the reality of the events. And so it's to remember that you couldn't even make bread fast enough. That's how fast you were sent out of Egypt in this result. You couldn't make leavened bread. You had to take unleavened bread. You had no time to prepare these things. And so you remember this thing, that God has provided a sacrifice, a substitute in this lamb for your life, and he is the one that drew you out so quickly from the land of Egypt. So Israel is instructed then uh, to prepare the Passover after he gives them sort of a description of it in verses 20 to 28, 21 to 28. We see Moses and Aaron go before the people of Israel and say, go now, prepare the Passover, 
The time has come. So the people of Israel went and did so. Verse 28, chapter 12. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. As the people of Israel prepare their Passover, no doubt their neighbors and friends are watching them. We've seen that they've been watching them since the previous plagues. Everyone is actually wondering what the heck is happening with Israel. I think you remember, I've got it covered up. <laughs> uh, that's, that's what I get for adding to the Bible, Mike. Jeez. In chapter 9, in, in, oh, wait, maybe the ninth plague. Here it is. Um, I forgot to write this one down. Anyway, the people are in awe of Israel. They know that something different is happening. And so, would they take note, they should join the people of Israel. So they do as the Lord commanded and, and put put the blood of the lambs on the lintels and doorposts. And, and at midnight that night, the Lord comes in the land and strikes down the firstborn of all the land of Egypt. The firstborn of the land is, I mean, it's significant even now. We hold significance to it. But in the ancient Near East, it was even more uh, significant. We, we, you know, we try and make sure we spread love equally these days, you know, make sure we're not giving anybody too much love and too little love and all this. But back then, symbolically and, and even in their riches and, and in their uh, giving of inheritance, the firstborn was symbolic of, uh, of their fruitfulness and, and would receive double portion of anyone else in the family. And so it was a, a, a symbol of their ability to continue their line of their, of their headship and continuation. And so uh, the firstborn is not insignificant. And so every firstborn of the people of Egypt and their cattle is taken. For every family who thought, my name will continue in this child. My name will continue in this people. God said, you have rejected the one name that matters, the God of heaven and the God of earth, for your own name. And so I'll take it that you might know. It had come to this that their hearts were so hardened in the midst of all these things that had been done in their midst. Their hearts were so hardened that, that the only thing that might show them who God is is the taking of their progeny to show them who is really God. And so the firstborn is taken of Egypt and even of the cattle. In the middle of that very night, verse 30, Pharaoh rose up in the night and he called for Aaron and Moses, Moses at night and said, up and go out from among my people. You and the people of Israel go and serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And interesting, and bless me also.
Pharaoh finally relents and sends them out. Israel leaves with the plunder of the people of Egypt who say, get out of here, that we shall all be dead. If you continue to stay among us, we will completely be annihilated. Leave, please, before we all die. Imagine this people, once enslaved to this great nation, is now feared so much that they are run out of town with gold and silver and clothing from this very nation. They are sent out. 600,000 men, plus women and children, if we're looking at maybe 2 million, I would guess, or more. I'm sure the average number of children is higher than it is today there. So anyway, lots of people, uh, at least 2 million, leave And one of the reasons why I so emphasize that God wasn't just after some select um, group of people only is that it's recorded that a mixed multitude goes out from among them as well. It wasn't just the Israelites that God was after. It was the Israelites and all the people who wanted to join them. This mixed multitude could be Egyptians, could be people that are sojourning throughout Egypt, could be foreigners who saw foreigners of Egypt who are uh, from other countries there in Egypt. A mixed multitude goes out among the people of Israel. God wasn't just about selecting one people group. He was about selecting those who were after his heart and recognized him as God and him alone. And so... After 430 years in Egypt, part of which was lived with favor, most of which was lived in slavery to the people of Egypt, Israel comes out as a nation led by the Lord. And this night will be marked and this week will be marked as the beginning of their nation for all time and even today. The people of Israel celebrate this event as their founding. At the beginning of chapter 13, I'm going to sneak into chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, which is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Again, the recognition is that all that we have comes from the Lord. The continuation of my name is from the Lord. The continuation of my life is from the Lord. The blessings that I receive are from the Lord. The difficult circumstances that I will walk through are from the Lord.
particularly here, the consecration, the setting apart of the firstborn, is the recognition that the firstborn of Israel was saved by the blood of the Lamb. Were it not for the blood of the Lamb, the destroyer that came through that night would destroy them as well. It wasn't by anything that they did, right? I mean, there's no connection to the deeds of Israel with the blood of a lamb. There's no connection. Simply the fact that God said, do this and know that it is by my hand alone that you are safe. And no doubt this points forward to us. The Gospels and in the New Testament pick up on some of these details that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Primarily that this lamb was without blemish. It could not be a defective lamb, could not be the runt of the flock, had to be the best and without blemish. Just as Jesus is holy and perfect, so too this lamb was to be blameless, was to be without blemish and untarnished. Second, it's picked up that here they are instructed not to break one bone of this lamb in its cooking or preparation or disposal. To not break a bone. Seems odd. Seems like shouldn't have to worry about that. Oh, if I break a bone like in the midst of cooking, maybe that's not a problem. He said, no, make sure that no bones are even broken. And it's noted in the Gospels that not even a bone of Jesus' body was broken. And they recalled this, that this was to fulfill prophecy started here. And chiefly, he died in our place. Just as this lamb died in the place of the people of Egypt, of their progeny, of their firstborn, of their inheritance that should go forward, just as that lamb died in their place, so Jesus dies in our place. We're no better than any person in the land of Egypt, either Israeli or Egyptian. Our sin is just as great if not greater than theirs. So the call to us is really a simple remembrance of the gospel call. You guys know that I'm short on uh, application a lot of times. I'm not going to give you 10 tips to fix your marriage this morning from this text. I'm just not that kind of guy. And um, the reason is that all you really need is this. It, you need to know that your heart should not be hardened like the people of Egypt or even Pharaoh himself. 
but you should repent and know that you're broken and in need of restoration to your God and Creator. If we would just know the holiness and righteousness and faithfulness and abounding steadfast love of our God and recognize our separation from that, so much is resolved in our lives, both maritally, parentally, in our work, in our friendships. Do not be hard of heart like the Egyptians. For that matter, do not be hard of heart like the, uh, like the people of Israel who break the tablets in the anger of God. But rather, receive God's sacrifice for your sin. Receive the spotless lamb of God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Receive the Passover lamb. When you have the humility to recognize how broken you are, you have the ability to restore relationships in your life. And when you have the grace and mercy of God, you too can extend the grace and mercy to those around you. And that's all you need. Yes, there's practical tips. And I hope to be better at sharing them specifically. But it ultimately comes down to just that. If you recognize your brokenness and you recognize God's mercy in your life and you extend that mercy to those around you as he has extended it so gracefully and mercifully to the entirety of the world and continues to do so today. Everything that we're going through, blessing or curse, is to remind us of this in the presence of God. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. May we receive the Passover lamb every single day of our lives. In the name of Jesus, say these things. Lord, we're so grateful for you, for your word, for your sustaining power. God, we're so grateful for your mercy, even this morning, to just remind us of the simplicity of this message, which is you died for us. That though we were your enemies, you gave your life for us. That from the creation of the world, you knew this would be the cost. You were not unaware, even in bringing this plague upon the people of Egypt, of the cost of the loss of your firstborn son. You felt it from eternity past. That the display of your glory will be seen most fit in the sacrifice of your son on the cross for broken sinners. And for that, Lord, we are eternally grateful and receive you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that 
as a church, we would continue to proclaim that, that anyone hearing would know that our trust is not in things we do. Our trust is not in great strategy. Our trust is not in self-improvement. Our trust is in the grace and mercy of God Most High through Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be a people that clings simply to your gospel and extends your mercy to those you place around us, that you may be exalted. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.